Take your Bibles, if you would, and we're going to look at just a couple verses tonight. Uh, it is the first of the year, and everybody is thinking about uh, all of the things that are coming in this year. And so let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and I'd like for us to just have a little illustration. Uh, and, th- and tonight, again, is not going to be anything uh, new um, But uh, I hope that it will be an exercise for us that will teach us how to better understand our Bible and apply it for our lives. Look at verse uh, 16, if you would. It says, Ephesians 5, 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, I'd like you to turn over to the book of Colossians. You have Ephesians, Philippians, then Colossians, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5. And we're going to see Paul give this same message to uh, the church at Coloss. And uh, we get down there and he says in verse 5 of Colossians chapter 4, walk in wisdom toward them that are without... (coughs) Redeeming the time. Now, the word redeem simply means to buy back. And uh, how many of you in this past year have had issues with running out of time? You just can't get everything done. There's just too much uh, work for the amount of the time and uh, the Bible tells us that as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to redeem that time because the days are evil. Time is short. We're supposed to be careful with, with our time. And, and if there's something that's easy to be careless with, it's time, is it not? Uh, how many of you have ever sat down and said, I'm just going to take a five-minute break and woke up? An hour later. Has anybody ever had that happen? Okay, many of us have. And so, what we're trying to do is understand what the Bible is teaching us by this idea of redeeming the time. And we're going to go to one of the most familiar stories in the Bible, and that's First Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to spend most of our time there. Uh, how many of you already know what's in First Samuel chapter 17? Okay, I saw two flickers. Uh, that is the story of David and Goliath. And uh, uh, we, uh, we like the story. And one of the reasons why I'm going here is as, as we face the new year, we have the issue of time, being careful with our time, making goals for our time, and then also... The, the idea is facing the big challenges of life and overcoming them. And uh, people call it, still talk about facing our giants or uh, uh, facing the giants of life and trying to win. And, of course, uh, they base all that on, on the story of David and Goliath. And what I'd like to do is take our text, actually Ephesians 5.16, redeeming the time because the days are evil, Colossians 4, 5, which says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time, and see if we can't get a little better understanding of those verses, of that challenge there to redeem the time, 
from the story of David and Goliath. Now, we start with in, in the story here, uh, verse 1 of chapter 17, and we're not going to take time. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I encourage you to be there on Sunday morning for through the Bible time, because uh, when it comes to a sermon like this, if we took time to build everything and cover every detail in the story before the application, we'd be here till about 1030. And I don't think anybody wants to do that tonight. But we have the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Sholak, uh, at which it belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Aska in Ephesdamim. And uh, Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And you know the story. As the Philistine army came and set up their camp, Judah came and set up their camp. There was a valley between them. And bright and early the next morning, as they were preparing to go to battle, all of a sudden, one fellow walks out of the camp of the Philistines. And he had uh, just a few issues. He was nine foot, six inches tall. Uh, Do the math. He probably weighed about 600 pounds. It says his... Uh, coat of mail, and, and again, we don't have time to give all the uh, details here, but his spearhead was over 11 pounds. Now, how many of you ever remember shot put from high school? Uh, that was an 8-pound ball, and most people could throw it about 10 feet. Uh, and if you could, you're actually doing pretty good. Uh, the Olympic athletes do a little better than that, but... Uh, His spear weighed 11 pounds, just the head of the spear. The beam to which it was attached was about a six by six. uh, About that big around, like a weaver's beam. And so, imagine a fella, your average spearhead weighed about 10, 12 ounces. This one's 11 pounds. Ten times the size of a normal spear. Uh, that would be a formidable weapon in and of itself, let alone if the guy decided to throw it. Uh, and uh, chances are Goliath had uh, passed his accuracy test and all of those things. And, and, and this was just not something that any of the children of Israel wanted to deal with. He, he presented a challenge. He said, listen, you send one man out to fight me and... Whoever wins, wins the whole battle. Let's not make everybody fight. Now, that's a pretty decent challenge if you're nine foot six inches tall. Uh, that, that is really to your advantage. Now, Saul was the king. And so, first we're going to do the negative commentary, King Saul. I want to challenge you that when you are brought up face to face with a major crisis in life, you will do what you've prepared yourself to do. And this is what Paul is talking about when he says, redeeming the time. Now, Saul was fully prepared to meet Goliath. You see, Saul had been the leader of Israel. He had won 
many battles. He was the king. But two years into his kingship, he displayed a disregard for the words of God, didn't he? In fact, if we'll go back to the very beginning, when Saul was told by Samuel that he would be king, what did he do? He showed up at the meeting and hid in the stuff. He wouldn't even be present and counted for until God told them where to be. Now, if somebody told you, in fact, uh, this meeting this week, Brother Sam uh, heard uh, the song that Julia wrote, uh, Boys, There's a Lot of Work to Do, and he said, I, I want that song sometime next week. And uh, so uh, Brother Aaron, the music director, said, when? He says, I don't know. I'll just let you know. Be ready. So pray for us. we we got to just be ready to do that. But here's what we did. We told Brother Aaron the number of mics we're going to need, the configuration, and I've also let Julia and Stephen and Andrew, who are doing the music, uh, we'll have the instruments there at the services, and we'll be waiting. If it's Thursday night, we'll be ready. If it's Tuesday morning, why wasn't Saul ready? He already, at the very beginning, exhibited a lack of faith in God's words. Later, when Samuel told him to kill all the Amalekites, he saved Agag alive. When it came time to offer the sacrifice and Samuel showed up late, the Saul stepped in and did this and offered the sacrifice in Samuel's place. Saul had already, time and time again, expressed an unconcern or a carelessness about the words of God. He had prepared himself. Now, we talk about Paul's worship, I mean Saul's worship, his relationship to God as the king. When he stepped in and offered the sacrifice in Samuel's Samuel's place because Samuel was late. And by the way, when did Samuel show up? As soon as he had finished, read read the stories in your Bible. How late was Samuel? Not very. He was just late enough to give Saul the opportunity to prove his unfaithfulness to God's Word. If you want an opportunity, God will give it to you. Later, he called a fast. During the battle. Now, how many of you are familiar with the phrase that we use today? An army travels on its... And if you're thinking of feet, you're, you're not thinking of this. What it, it says an army travels on its stomach. Isn't that true? That's the phrase we use. And so what did Saul do as the king, as the leader during... And a long uh, engagement with the Philistines, one that went all day and late into the evening, he proclaimed a fast and said, nobody eat. You see, Saul was using worship toward God as a motivational tool. There's a lot of places you can find that today. 
But that's not why we worship God. You worship God because He is God. You don't worship God to motivate people. Sometimes someone will say, um, I would like to serve in the church. And the first thing I'll tell you, or my wife will tell you, if you ask her or Andrew or anybody here, uh, just get busy and be faithful where you are. Because if you're not going to be faithful to services just because you're supposed to be here, it's not going to give you a job. That, that's the Bible way of doing things. But Saul wasn't doing it that way. And later, as Samuel gives Saul the news that God is not going to continue his kingdom, that he has rented from Saul and he's going to give it to someone else. And of course, God didn't tell Saul who that someone else was because Saul tried to kill him. And in fact, Saul, when he found out that David was uh, later exhibiting all of these wonderful traits, he, he would do that very thing. And Saul was to ask for David in chapter 15 of the book of 1 Samuel. He said, turn again and honor me before the elders of my people. You see, worship was appearance, it was motivation, and, and it was uh, something that needed to be done to try to work. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, just before we get into chapter 17, it says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, did the Lord send that evil spirit to bother Saul? No. But when the Lord took his hand off of him, then the devil moves in. That's the way it works. And so, here we have Saul on the day of battle. Now he is facing a crisis. Nine foot six, big, strong mean and ugly, steps out onto the battlefield and offers a challenge. Saul had not redeemed the time. So what did he do? He accepted the world's challenge. You know, one of the most foolish things that we can do as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ is try to fight the world on the world's terms. Often people said, well, why, why don't you prove to me? That's what they said to Jesus on the cross. Do you remember that? Come down from the cross and we'll believe. What sign do you show while he was in his ministry? And, and listen, what do you think would have happened to Goliath? If King Saul would have said, huddle time, guys, we got 30 seconds before we move. I'm going to take my 10 best guys and all of you are going to jump on Goliath at the same time. And the rest of us are going for the Philistines in the background. You say, that's not fair. Well, being nine foot six inches tall ain't fair either, amen? Uh, why do you, we were there to fight a battle. Not to play tiddlywinks, not to accept their terms. Don't accept the world's terms. But Paul did, Saul did. 
And when he did, he goes to his soldiers and he says, who wants to fight Goliath? What was the soldiers of Israel's first thought? King, you're head and shoulders above all of us. Why aren't you fighting Goliath? Not me, not me, not me. If I could only find that guy. Uh, he's responsible for most of the problems around our household. I say, who did this? Not me, not me, not me. If I could only find not me. Uh, when we were trying to get the paperwork done, I'd go from city office to city office. And can you help? Not me, not me. If I could only find that guy. But you know what? You'll never find it. And so we have 90 days here. Or, I'm sorry, um, I may have misquoted that. Um, and uh, um, we have this going on day after day after day. And uh, look down here in, in, uh, in verse... Uh, uh, um, I'm sorry, uh, verse 19, Now Saul and all the men of Israel that were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines, and David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse has commanded him, and he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. Now, Every morning, Saul got the men of Israel up, said, this is going to be the day of battle. They march out. They're excited. They're going hurrah, hurrah on the way. And then Goliath shows up and they all turn around like scared little girly men and go back to the trenches. You see, when you don't face the challenge God's way, what was God's way to fight the battle? If you read in the book of Numbers... The Levites, the priests, were supposed to be there. It says in Numbers 10.9, And if you go out to war in your land against the enemy that oppresses you, then shall ye blow an alarm with the trumpets, and ye shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and ye shall be saved from your enemies. This was God's motivation. Saul wasn't even aware that it existed. The, the worship of Lord hadn't been set up. And David ends up, because the war was taking so long, down, going down to take supplies to his brothers. And the Philistines laughed. And the armies of Israel stand there and say, what can we do? Now let's go to the positive commentary. Let's look at David. You see, David's preparation for battle was quite different than that of Goliath's and Saul's. When David showed up at the Valley of Elah, he had never put on a piece of armor. As far as we know, he had never handled a sword or a spear. He had never been trained with the bow and the arrow. He had a sling. He had a shepherd's staff. His training was taking care of sheep. 
Now, when somebody signs up for special forces in the United States military, do they send them out to take care of sheep? Uh, no. They have all kinds of training to take care of, to do, and, and, and things that will build their strength and agility and make them work together. But you see, when David was probably only about 12 or 13 years old, Samuel showed up and did sacrifice in the city. And while he was doing that sacrifice, he had David's older brothers all form a circle facing out. And inside that circle was Samuel, the old prophet, the last of the judges, and David. And he reaches into that big robe that the priest wore and he pulls out a horn of oil and breaks it and pours it over that young man's head. Thirteen years old. The Bible says that he was ruddy and of a beautiful countenance. It's what you and I might call a pretty boy. This was David. And he pours that oil on his head and says, you're going to be the next king of Israel. If David was thirteen, it was going to be seventeen years before he ascended to the kingship of Israel. That's a long time to wait, isn't it? And so, David was not afraid of the anointing. But he didn't announce it. He didn't go around saying, I'm going to be the next king, because what would have happened? Saul would have tried to execute him, because he was going to take Saul's place. He kept the sheep, and later he, this day, as he faced the giant, uh, he would tell uh, King Saul that I was keeping the sheep, and a lion came and attacked. And I killed the lion and saved the sheep. In fact, he said, I pulled the, lion out, the, the lamb out of the lion's mouth before he could kill the lamb. That's, that's some agility there. And a bear attacked. And what was David doing? He was keeping the sheep. It was his job to keep the predators from harming the sheep. Do you think he practiced with that sling? I I promise you he did. Uh, Don't make a sling like... The sling that David had was not the old wrist rocket with the surgical tubing. Um, It was... Two long leather straps, six to twelve feet long, and in the middle was a pouch. And you would swing that thing around, and you would release one of those uh, uh, leather straps while holding on to the other one. I'll tell you what, when I was a kid, I tried to make one of those. Almost killed myself. Don't, don't try that at home. Uh, these, these, it was something that had to be practiced. And, and David was a man who worshipped God and wrote psalms. In fact, when Saul was under the influence of this evil spirit because the Holy Spirit was taken away from him, the men called David and David came and played for Saul and his music was one that refreshed him. Now, David shows up on the day of battle. Saul, the Goliath had been presenting himself. Saul's stalemate had gone on to such a time that he needed to take more food to his brothers who were in the army. 
Now, here's David's redeeming the time. Number one, David had no way of understanding Saul's failures. He didn't have the Bible that he could carry around with him. He didn't sit there and pray and meditate about Saul's failures and ask God why Saul had done these things. Here's what David did. David heard what the giant challenged. And David immediately saw what the real issue was. It was not all of these other things. It was the fact that this man was blaspheming the God of Israel and making the children of Israel look foolish and weak. And so David could not give orders to the men in the army. He went through the men and he said, didn't the king promise that he'd make your family free in Israel? Didn't he give you one of his daughters to be wife? You'd become the son-in-law of the king and all of these things. And, and see, Saul was working on trying to motivate people to fight Goliath. But how many of you would take that challenge? I think not me would get the job every day, don't you? And so, David said, if no one else will go, I'll go. He went to see Saul. And what was the first thing that Saul tried to do? First, he tried to discourage him. And when David said, I'll go fight no matter what, then he said, well, take my armor. Well, you have to remember that David was about here when he was full grown on Saul. And he wasn't full grown yet. So the armor wasn't working. I mean, I could just see David putting on Saul's armor. He, at this time, may have been 16, 17 years old, strapping young man. But there's a whole lot of growing that goes on between 17 and 25. Uh, you fill out your suit and, you, and the shoulders and all of those other things. And David was just a normal little boy. He stood up in Saul's armor, and Saul's armor was sitting on the ground. It, it, it wasn't going to work. He said, listen, I have not prepared for these things. I'll take the tools that God has given me to do God's will. A sling and a staff. Someone once said he picked five stones out of the brook. Because Goliath had four brothers and he was going to take out the whole family. I, I don't know about that. But uh, I do know about this. David was a thinker and he thought, I'll have more than one shot, but I'll never get more than five. So if God can't do it with five, it's just not going to get done today. And so he took... It wouldn't do him any good to take 10 or 20. That would just slow him down and weigh him down. He, he took what he could possibly use. It's just common sense. And we found out that five was actually more than he needed. He only needed one. 
And I love the story. As he comes out and Goliath takes one look at David. And he says, you're sending a little boy. Where where are the men? Aren't I worthy of at least a man showing up instead of this little shepherd boy carrying a stick? Does he think he's going to beat me with the stick? Well, Goliath, if he'd had any sense of all, he should have known about David's sling. Uh, That was a lethal weapon. And so he proceeds as he had for the last so many days, cursing Israel's God and cursing David and telling all the things that he was going to do. And David just had one short sentence. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of Israel, whom you've defied, and God's going to destroy you and the whole army of the Philistines. And he took that little sling and started whirling it above his head and ran to meet the Philistine. And then he let that rock go. Kerthunk, right there. The Bible says that stone sunk in. Now, you stop and think about how hard Goliath's head had to have been. I mean, there there was a chance. And we know that the Lord guided that rock. And could I challenge you as we go back? Well, and, and let's just finish the story. As Goliath fell down on his face, David had a pretty good idea that Goliath was dead. Uh, let me tell you, Goliath had a pretty good idea that Goliath was dead. Uh, but David wasn't going to let anything to chance. You see, he was busy redeeming the time. Saul had been out there for over a month and nothing had happened. David was on the battlefield one morning and Goliath slain face down. But David was not one to allow things to chance. And so he goes up and climbs up on the back of Goliath. Now imagine this huge hulking monster laying face down on the dirt, spread out, not moving, and all the Philistine army goes, it can't be! And David picks up that sword out of Goliath's own scabbard. And imagine, now Goliath is nine foot six, how big was his sword? I just love the the picture of him standing there with that sword, putting it up over, almost tipping over. And, and we won't get into all the gross details, but I'm sure there was a chink as the blade hit the ground under Goliath. And all of a sudden, the Philistines woke up and realized this little boy had just killed their champion. And the promise was, whoever won the battle won the war. And the Philistines weren't going to stick around and they all ran and then the armies of Israel had something to do. They chased the running Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter and the battle was won. Now I want you to come back with me to Ephesians chapter 5 here. And uh, we'll be done in short order, I hope. But let me ask you a question. Who redeemed the time? Saul or David? Why, David did, of course. 
Saul led nothing to a stalemate. He accepted the world's terms. He was just sitting there waiting for something to happen. David made something happen. Now, let's go back here to verse 14 of chapter 5 in the book of Ephesians and pick up a little context here and see if we can find some things that may have applied to the life of David there that led him to the great victory on that day. Verse 14 says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, how many of you picked up some Life of David characteristics out of those verses that we just read in the book of Ephesians? You see, David was a shepherd. It was the shepherd's job to take care of the sheep. You know what the shepherd would normally do? If he cared about his sheep, he would get them just before sunrise. And he would take them out of the fold... And lead them through that cool early morning time to the grazing lands. So that by the time the sun came up, the sheep weren't walking around and having to travel. They were able to rest and lie down in the green pastures and eat when they wanted and drink from the still waters and The shepherd was always watchful, and he had to protect the sheep from the predators, and David did that on many occasions. You see, the Bible says that if we're going to redeem the time, we've got to keep Christ as our focus. We've got to walk circumspectly, not as fools. And it says, wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. What was the will, what is the will of the Lord in every situation? That God be glorified. You can find that all through your Bible. Why was David upset when he heard the challenge of the, of Goliath, the champion of the Philistines? Because he was casting reproach and demeaning the glory of the God of Israel. Saul wasn't the least bit concerned about that. David was. That's why David fought the battle, and Saul did not think matters had reached the critical point where the battle had to be engaged. It says, And be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And we're not going to take time to go through this whole verse here, And uh, someone says, oh, that means you can drink a little bit, right? No. When does wine start affecting you? With the first drink. We're supposed to be under control of the Holy Spirit. Why was David such a good shepherd? 
it's because he was doing God's will as the shepherd. Amen? He was taking care of them. He was under the direction of the Spirit of God. And verse 19, we call David, one of his uh, titles that we give him is the psalmist or the sweet psalmist of Israel. The next verse says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. How many of you have ever gotten just under the circumstances of life? And all of a sudden, one of those hymns out of the hymn book just starts popping in your head. You know what? That comes from a relationship with God. David wrote many of the Psalms. His relationship with God tied in with his music. That's why it's very important what kind of music you listen to. It affects you. It will change you. It influences your mood. And if you think it doesn't, you, you, you just misunderstand the whole thing. That's what this passage, if we're going to redeem the time, we've got to let We've got to understand what the will of God is. We've got to be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit, we're going to have the right kind of music ringing in our souls. Verse 20 says, give thanks always for all things. Now, I'll tell you, there's some things that happen that just, uh, you have a problem, want to be thankful for. Anybody else have that? And yet, here's what the Bible says. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, read Romans chapter 1. The first step to perdition is neither were they thankful. Do you think David was thankful when that lion stepped out of the underbrush and grabbed that little lamb in his hand, in his mouth? I'll guarantee he wasn't thankful. He's scared to death. But he knew he had a job to do, and he went out and took care of the lion and saved the lamb. Amen? When David was looking down the valley at Elah, nine foot six, big, mean, and ugly, all of a sudden he was very thankful for that lion. Because it gave him courage to face the giant. Amen? God has a plan. And then this last one, it says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Samuel had already told David that he would be the next king. He submitted to Samuel. But when his dad said, Go watch the sheep, he didn't say, I'm going to be the next king. I need to prepare to be kingly and lead men. He went out and watched the sheep. When his dad called him and said, Go take the some food to your brothers. He just did it. And when it came time to deal with the reproach that Goliath laid upon the God of Israel, he was submissive to God and he dealt with that too. You see, this idea of redeeming the time is not getting out your calendar and planning more effectively. It's a waking up and realizing that God is in charge. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, you do not have the light of Christ in your life. You need to get it. And the only place you can get it is from the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we do not need to walk as the men of this world walks. 
We need to walk circumspectly. We need to have our eyes open. We need to watch what's going on. Not from a point of judgment. Remember, David never judged Saul for all of the foolish decisions that Saul made and all of the things that Saul had done wrong. David was too busy trying to do right to worry about all the wrong that Saul had done. He was redeeming the time. He was spending his time making melody to God, knowing what God's will is, understanding what is important and what isn't important, being led of the Spirit, and submitting himself to proper biblical authority. And when the battle came, David gives us the perfect commentary on how to redeem the time. Whereas King Saul gives us the perfect commentary on how to unredeem the time or waste the time, lose the time. Saul should have been the one that walked into the valley of Elah and defeated Goliath. And he could have been the one. But he had not redeemed the time. And so that challenge was given to another. And I'd like you to think, as you know these stories, if you're around our church very long, we've got a whole new year coming up. We need to redeem the time. It's not better planning. And I'm not against planning. But it's a better relationship with God. It's not a better attitude. It's more songs and being led of the Holy Spirit. It's not learning how to lead. It's learning how to submit to proper authority. And then when it comes time, you'll be ready. Because you've redeemed the time. You're prepared for the battle. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we thank you for this study in the life of David, and how it explains this passage that might so easily be passed over, might so easily be just given to a better planning calendar or better organization. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand that redeeming the time is knowing what God's will is today and doing it. David's answer was keeping the sheep taking the food to his brothers. And yet you used him to win the great battle against the big giant Goliath. Lord, we ask that you would help us to evaluate and look at the life which we live, that we would redeem the time through this coming year. In Jesus' name we pray. And we'll just keep our heads bowed for a moment as the pianist to play. If you need to slip out of your seat, there's an altar that you can spend some time with the Lord. If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you're not even sure what that means, we'd love to take the time, love to take the Bible and just show you what it says so that you could leave knowing that Jesus is your Savior. Your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. If you look and say, I haven't been redeeming the time very well. Tonight is the night to pray that prayer and say, Lord, help me that I may redeem the time.